Live from the basement of Voodoo Sound, it's time to get your mojo working. I got my mojo working, but it just won't work on you. Take the next 40 odd minutes to get your hands on some tips and tools that will get you working at your best in both your business and your personal life. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Welcome on board the bus, the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show. What is this little gig about? Robo and I just find interesting people, people that we think have their mojo working in some aspect of their world, whether it be in or out of work. We chat, we extract their knowledge, their thoughts, their opinions, their tips, their tools, stuff that we can put into action to help us or our friends or our family or our businesses get their mojo working. So driving the big red bus, he has... I, I, I do like what you've done with the driver's seat, the Velua seat cover. Yeah. I do like that. Do you like the uh, the sequins down the side on the seam? I do, but I'm, mm. I'm not sure that the traffic authorities would let us have a lava lamp blue tacked mm. to the yeah, dashboard of the big red bus. Yeah, and I went a bit crazy with the KTEL Bedazzler too, but, you know, hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Robbo's 20 cents worth. All right, we have got a pretty big show this week. Mm. We've got two very special guests, two ladies who are certainly getting after it. Before we do, uh, what have you got from the interwebs for us this week? Oh, look, I found a great quick story which I really want to share with you. There's a, a Dutch bicycle company who shipped their product overseas, their product being bicycles, obviously. And they were having huge trouble with damage occurring to the bicycles in transit. Boxes were arriving broken and pieces of the bikes being smashed and scratched and things like that. So they came up with the idea of taking their logo off the box that the bicycle came in and anything that had anything to do with bicycles. And instead they printed on the front the picture of a flat screen TV. Now, within a week of them shipping their product in these boxes, the damage rate fell by 70 to 80%. So I just think in terms of thinking outside the square and instead of trying to create a new box or a better box, just changing the way they were doing it to begin with had such an impact on their product. I think that's great thinking. Thinking differently does require taking time out for deep work. I will hear your story and I'll raise you Yes, a school... Uh, wrote a, an article recently about the, it was a girls' school mm. and they were having trouble with, the cleaners were having trouble because the girls kept on writing on the mirrors in the girls' bathrooms with their lipsticks. Right. Tried all sorts of things, signs, threats, went through the whole box and dice, eventually called a meeting mm. in the girls' toilets with all the girls <laughs> and talk about the issue. And whilst they were saying to the girls how you don't want to be writing on the mirrors with your lipsticks, they did a demonstration of how they went about cleaning the mirrors in the bathrooms and they had a cleaner come in and showed they used the toilet scrubbing brush and toilet water to clean (laughs) the mirrors. (laughs) And I just thought it was genius Uh, that the girls could put two and two together themselves to go, Mm. I've got my lipstick on that (laughs) toilet-ridden mirror and I'm putting that back in my bag and putting it in my beer. Maybe I won't do that anymore. Yeah, let's get him as principal at our local school. That's great thinking. The Mojo Radio Show. I met our first guest today on the interwebs and Taryn Williams and I hooked up on one of the social platforms. 
And you know, when somebody follows you or makes connection and I'm not sure why, but I, I just was interested in Taryn, went in, looked at her profile and it turns out that Taryn Williams is one of our most prolific female entrepreneurs here in Australia. And Taryn set up a modeling agency with a difference. It's called Wink Models. And that's one part of it. But the other part that fascinated me is Taryn's I guess, side hustle to a point or a second brand that she has created, which in effect is attacking her own mothership. Now, Taryn has been recognised a lot by the media in Australia and that she is a finalist in the B&T, which is an advertising magazine, B&T Hot 30 Under 30, and Smart Company magazine, which I'm a fan of. Hello to our friends at Smart Company. Uh she was also named in the 30 Under 30 and is also on the Women's Agenda for Emerging Entrepreneurs of the Year. So wow. she's spoken at TEDx. This girl is a bit of a wonder girl doing just terrific work in the entrepreneurial space around modelling and disruption. So, Taryn, it's an absolute delight. Uh, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. It is our pleasure. It's nice to put a bit of glamour into our studio here, Taryn. Um, <laughs> Far too good looking just, for this show. Just, uh, <laughs> and we're going to talk about Robbo's brown tracky dax a little later in the program. But um, just to start <laughs> us off, when people ask you, what do you do? How do you normally reply? It's really interesting because um, my two companies now are, are, are so latest but so different. So I, do, I have to conversation with taxi drivers so often, actually. They're always like, what do you do? Especially when they hear me talking on the phone and I'm like, well, I have two companies. One is a modeling agency and the other is a tech company. And they're sort of like, how can those two go together? How, how on earth do you have? One is so, you know, polar opposite end of the spectrum to the other. Um, but, of course, they are so related. One is a, obviously a modeling agency and the other is a two-sided marketplace for creative talent. So they are related but very, very different at the same time. Yeah, I think we'll dig into that during the show. I just just to start us off, something I was curious about, I'm going to take you back a ways that, to you being born in the Barossa Valley. And when you're a kid, it seems that you did a sort of, a lot of travel. Uh, when you were very young, you moved to Fiji for a number of years. Going to yeah. an international school, being on the road a bit, living in different cultures. Did those early years shape you into the kind of go-getter that you are today? I definitely think it had an impact, yeah. I think it's one of the best things that my parents could have done for my sister and I. Um, I don't know if it was a sort of deliberate plan on their behalf, um, but they definitely wanted us to see as much of the world as possible. And I think it was really important for us to be a minority as well. Um, obviously, attending national school, we certainly, Australians certainly weren't um, the predominant um, country there. So it was a really interesting experience and in having to work alongside so many different cultures. And it just afforded me so many amazing opportunities. We got to meet people from so many different backgrounds, learn so much about different religions and um, different foods and, um, and yeah, just a really experience a different type of life. Um, it was a time when there was no, no television in Fiji. There was no fast food. Um, I vividly remember the last year we were there, the, um, the very first McDonald's opening and things like that. So it was just a totally different way of life. And, um, yeah, they really strongly encouraged us to, to travel the world and go and see new things. And I spent a lot of time in 
Japan and Korea and all throughout Asia and um, India and it's sort of exploring the world throughout my late teens and early 20s and it definitely just, I think, putting yourself in those challenging situations really sets you up um, for all of the challenges that you're going to go through when you start your first business. Being Fiji, which having been there not long ago, is quite, in, in a lot of cases, quite an underdeveloped country. When you think back yeah. to your childhood being in Fiji and going to an international school, what what did Fiji teach you? It really made me appreciate the simple things in life. Like I vividly remember as a kid just being able to, we didn't have to wear shoes to school, for example, and after school you'd, you'd just tear around these big, beautiful um, tropical landscapes and you, you know, our parents were very relaxed and pretty much all of our friends, um, parents were the same and, and they'd let you go out, you know, roaming for hours through the countryside and, and hanging out in the local villages and, and going on these wild, wonderful adventures and, and just how blissfully simple life can be, that you don't need television, that we didn't need all of this technology. We were so happy and creating our own adventures and, and, and being creative, you know, building these amazing huts. Or, or whatever it was, playing these games, really just getting back to the basics. I think it it really taught me it's so easy these days to get so caught up in obviously all of the things that we're doing and being attached to our iPhones and, and sometimes it's so important to just strip all of that back and get back to the basics and just go for a walk. If we fast forward just a few years because you're still a young lady, uh, if we fast <laughs> forward a few years, you started Wink Models and you've said that you looked at the industry and you were modelling for six years yourself. You looked at the industry and you could see problems that you believed need fixing. Well, when you when you looked at it, what were the problems that you thought needed fixing? I've always been pretty headstrong, my parents will tell you. Um, I'm pretty stubborn. And um, there was a lot of things in the industry that just sort of really died with me. I absolutely loved, loved the creative industry and I loved yeah, I'd modeled for quite a few years and I'd worked as a producer and, um, and a show caller and events and things like that. So I'd seen both client side and talent side. And there was just so many things to me that seemed so simple to fix and I couldn't understand why no one was doing them. Really basic things like paying people on time or treating them fairly and with decency and respect and having really great relationships with, you know, models with their agents or agents with clients. Um, you know, using technology to expedite the process, people were still like emailing in, um, you know, their, their timesheets uh, you know, a week after a job saying, oh, I did now overtime. Opportunity for human error was huge. And just all of these things that weren't scalable, um, text messaging out, casting details, and just things that really didn't make sense to me. And I thought it's really not hard. All of these problems are really, really easily solvable problems and would improve the experience for everyone in the scenario. So for the model, for the agent, and for their client. So with the blissful naivety of use, I was like, I'm going to start my own agency and I'm going to fix all of these problems single-handedly. So when you thought, so you're modelling, working in events, when you thought of doing your own thing, can you remember the dream you had? Can you remember the dream of what you wanted to create back then? Yeah, I wanted to build an agency that was like a real family. It was a real community and that we were really on our team's side. So both client and talent, that we were really actually vested in their success. We actually really cared about the outcome. Instead of at the time, you know, it just seemed to me that most agents were like, yep, whatever, go out to this job. They didn't really care for the model or for the client, what the outcome was, whether it was successful, as long as they got paid. 
Um, and then, you know, it's taking months for models to get paid and there was this really negative connotation um, that they, they were having to chase up their money and they were fearful of their agents because if they did chase up their money, they, you know, were being told that they were going to be let go or whatever it might be. It was just really, really negative. So I had this vision that if we could create this place that was really safe where people felt supported and it was like a community and clients could come to us and say, look, could you please help us execute this? you know, beautiful campaign or event or whatever it might be and know that we were actually vested in the outcome of that, that we actually genuinely cared. And for talent, a really, obviously a lot of these people are going through some really fundamental, you know, periods of their life, like moving out of home, probably going through their first ever important breakup, um, you know, moving states a lot of the time, being there to be, be that support network for them and making them feel safe, feel a part of something, know that they could get paid on time, know that we were here for them and, and it would win, everyone would win in that scenario. Clients would have talent who were having a fantastic time, thoroughly enjoying their career, and that it was financially viable to do this for them. They were getting paid so that they could afford to go to the next job and that they were going to go and do a great job for our clients because they knew we were taking care of them. So everyone sort of won. So it was, um, I suppose, probably not naive, but probably, um, yeah, a, a bit of a, um, a blissful dream that, that everyone, it could be that easy. And, and to be honest, like it, it hasn't been, obviously it's had a lot of challenges along the way and, and I've learnt so much and lots of twists and turns, but we still pay all of our models within seven days. Um, our clients know that we go absolutely above and beyond for them and you know we've got incredibly loyal clients and talent who have been with us for some of them nearly 10 years. So it, um, it wasn't that difficult. It just needed someone to, to step up and, and take charge and I guess, yeah, um, yeah, own that and, and explain to people that it could happen if we all if we all got on the same page. You got some lucky models. I don't know anyone that gets paid in seven days these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it sort of blew my mind that it, that it was this, this industry expectation that talent wouldn't get paid until the agency had been paid by the client, which could take, you know, if it's a big multinational, they might have 90-day payment terms. Like that's just, you can't ask someone to wait 90 days to get paid. That's just ridiculous to me. Yeah, it's welcome. an agency's role to bankroll that. Welcome to my world. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and, and you, yeah, you spend a lot of time in the modelling world to have a new <laughs> But I don't know if you're aware, there's actually a, a, a new, uh, new sub-branch of modelling. It's called Big Up Modelling. And uh, oh, I've, I've, I've had a yeah. lot of call for that. Hello, yeah. our friends at Corona and Tim Tams. Um, <laughs> You've heard of a hand model, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's the dad's uh, playing Masters rugby category of Mm. modelling. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) And now the the VB aren't on Boonie anymore, mate. It's a big opportunity for you there. Oh, big time. Big time. (laughs) Taryn, how did you know that you weren't going to be a lawyer, but this is actually what you wanted to do? Mine was quite a unique scenario. So I was at university and I ended up studying politics and international relations. And I sort of thought, yeah, maybe like a lawyer or a diplomat. I knew I wanted to sort of be in one of those, that sort of field. Um, I I was very passionate about change and and, and making change and um, lobbying for people and, and, and rights and things like that. And, um, I was in my final year at university at ANU and I was offered an opportunity to go and work in Korea. And um, I handed in all of my final assignments and passed all my final exams. And so I went, went to um, my 
leading professor there and said, look, you know, I've been offered this amazing opportunity and these are the dates that I'm going to be away and, um, you know, I think it's fantastic, obviously, it's so relevant to, to what I'm studying and, um, you know, this is what I'd like to do. And, and they said, no, if you, if you go and do that, we'll fail you based on attendance. You need to show up here and get your box ticked off that you came up and showed up on Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday or whatever my shoots were. And, and it just did not make sense to me. Like the, uh, the system of bureaucracy, I just thought like this is absolutely mind-boggling. Like this is a, an amazing opportunity and why can't they see that? Why, why can't they support that and, and um, be just tied up in, in this, you know, silly red tape that just didn't make sense to me. So um, my situation sort of presented itself really like in a black and white way. Like do you take this opportunity that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go and work somewhere incredibly different and, and all the experience that might come with that or do you stay here and tick the boxes? And, you know, get your piece of paper and, and then what, what does that mean to you? So in my situation, it was quite different. Um, I do hear exactly what you're saying. So many people who are either in careers that they don't love or that they're, you know, too fearful to leave because they've got a mortgage and two kids and, 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 you know, not sure what's around the corner. Um, and I just think so often, I mean, we've got one life. You really get, you, you don't get a second shot at this and, do you want to be doing something forever that you don't love or, you know, isn't exactly what you want to be doing? And what sort of message does that send to people around you and especially to people who have children? You know, is that the sort of example that you want to be setting for them that they need to just go and grind it out and pick the boxes every day or, or do you want them to take risks and, and try something different? And, and the thing I've learned is that there's never a good time. There's never like a perfect time where your, your kids are the right age and the mortgage is paid off and, you know, your mum's not in a nursing home or, you know, there's, there's never the perfect time where you go, well, now's a great time to go out on my own and start a business. It's always going to be hard and it's always going to be painful and it's always going to have its challenges. So just bite the bullet. But what's the worst thing that can happen? Like it doesn't work and you go back to your job. It's actually not that scary. It's just we build it up to be something that's so intimidating to get started with. Do you do you remember the actual moment? So you started Wink Models, you've got some clients, you've got some work going on, but I suspect as it is with all of us in the back of our mind, we're not really sure if this is going to work out. Absolutely. Do you remember the exact moment where you went, you know what, this is a something, I can do this, this is actually going to work, I think I can make a business out of this. Do you remember that moment? Yeah, it was um, We we very early in the sort of piece, so yeah, it definitely had those moments of being like, is this a terrible idea, what am I doing, oh my gosh, this is so much more work than I expected holy moly, how are we going to pay everyone? And um, very early in the piece, we landed a global campaign for Nokia back when Nokia flip phones were like the big thing. And um, and, and they needed a, a real mix of different um, ages and ethnicities, like to really, it was obviously a global campaign to really truly represent what was then um, a Nokia customer. So, um, and they came to us. They couldn't find what they were looking for through a traditional agency. And um, and they came to us and we could provide, with seven roles, we could provide all seven roles that they were looking for. And it was kind of that light bulb moment where I went, okay, there is something in this. There is something in this. There's, there's, a, um, there's a need for an agency that provides something different and can help bring it all together for them and can make it an enjoyable experience. Um, for, you know, obviously a big global brand. I was like, wow, I can't believe we've 
landed this in our first, I think it was about our first three months of, of the business. And, and that was the real light bulb moment for me. Like, okay, stick at this. Like, you can you can make this work. When you've been asked about this, the, maybe the secrets or the most important things that you have done in your career to get you to where you are, and we'll talk about the right fit in a minute, but with wink models and so on, and you, you, I've heard you a number of times talk about mentors. And what I'm curious about is, in your mind, now having had a mentor for some years, saying they're an important part of your artillery as a successful entrepreneur, what's the best structure to work with a mentor? So I go, I'm into it. But what I find is that no one talks about the actual structure of how often do you see them? Is it face-to-face? Is it a regular thing? Is it at call? For you who's been successful with a mentor, how does it specifically work for you? It's such a great question because people often come up to me after they've seen me speak at an event um, and they'll say, oh, this is amazing. Thank you so much for what you said about being a mentor. Will you be my mentor? And I'm like, we don't even know each other. (laughs) I could be a terrible mentor for you. It can't be something contrived. Like it can't be this, um, I've decided I'm going to get a mentor and, um, you know, I I think she would be good and um, I'm going to ask her to be my mentor. It has to be something I think that naturally evolves from someone that you meet through whatever circumstance it might be. It might be socially or or through work um, and someone that you really resonate with who obviously you really respect and whose opinion that you admire, but that there is this natural flow to it. And um, and it obviously needs to be, I think it's incredibly important that it's a, a two-sided relationship and that both parties get something out of it. So um, for me personally, I've always met my mentors um, yeah, through someone. Um, and my I've had about three really, really pivotal mentors in my life. Um, and they've all been incredibly close relationships um, where we've become very, very close friends um, as well as um, that mentor element um, and that I call on very regularly and that I have a very, very close relationship with. Um, I generally see my current mentor at least once a month, probably twice a month, um, and we would speak most days. Um, sometimes it's definitely if I'm going through a challenging period or, you know, when we're raising capital and things like that, I might, we might speak four or five times a day or have, you know, 10, 20 text messages a day. Um, and then we might go a period where we don't speak for a week. Um, so it really does um, depend on the individual. Previously, yeah, I would, uh, my previous mentor, when I was sort of in my late teens and early 20s, um, yeah, I would probably see once a week for, for lunch and we'd sit down and go through where the business was at and, um, you know, obviously keep me accountable and, and coach me through specific problems and, and things like that. So I think it depends on the individual and obviously what works for both of you time-wise and um, geographically where they're located and things like that. I think the important thing is is that it's it's so easy to um, to, I think, get started with the idea of having a mentor and then it sort of ebbs into this like once a month thing. And I don't know, personally for me, I don't know how much value I would get out of that. Um, for me, it does need to be someone that is involved, not necessarily in the day-to-day minutiae of my life, but that has enough information about how the business is tracking and how I'm personally tracking um, as a CEO and founder um, 
to, to be able to offer insights and add value. Um, if they're too far detached from how the business is performing and how I'm performing, then it's really hard for them to add value. That's goal, Robbo. And especially in a startup, businesses move move so quickly and they pivot so quickly. Yes. And, you know, what, what was a problem last week may not be a problem this week. So if we're only catching up once a month, you know, that, that data can be so irrelevant. That's gold. Mentor gold. Mentor gold. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> Mentor gold right there. Gold-plated go. modelling. <laughs> It's, it's a gold model. It's a model of gold. Um, you, you said in an interview with Smart Company, the status quo is never good enough. Have you always been a disruptor? Like, have you always had a disruptive approach to status quo? Has that just been your natural thing? Yeah. I've had, <laughs> I've had lengthy chats with my parents about this. Um one of my business coaches was like, where did this come from? Like this streak in you, you know, sometimes it's okay to, you know, for it to just be okay. Like there doesn't need to be the next thing. Like, does it stem from something in your childhood? Did you have a teacher who told you, you know, you're never going to be good enough and you've got to keep working hard and otherwise, you know, or do you have a parent that didn't love you enough and didn't hug you enough and didn't tell you that you were good, you know, where does it come from? And I've had all of these lengthy conversations with, yeah, my my parents and people that have known me for a long time and they're like, gosh, you have just always been this way since you were a toddler. You've been incredibly stubborn, incredibly driven, you know, you've always, you know, wanted to be pursuing. I learned how to fly a plane at 15, you know, like it's just all of these things in my life were like, I just needed to be able to do them. I wanted to be able to do them. I wanted to know what was next. I wanted to be working towards something. So I don't know where it comes from. Um, sometimes it's my biggest blessing and my biggest curse. So I'm not sure I would recommend it to anyone. But yeah, it, I guess it's just naturally ingrained in me. I've, I'm always looking for a new challenge and the next project and, and in constantly iterating and improving what we've got. Why Why are you so comfortable being uncomfortable? <laughs> if you had to I put your think, finger on it. I don't think I've known anything else. Like maybe it comes back to this sort of, you know, travelling a lot and moving houses a lot and, and, you know, changing schools and things a lot. As a child, you know, I, I don't think I, I certainly didn't go up, you know, you know, 2.5 kids in the suburbs and a Kia Carnival. Like, you know, we've... Well, I've sort of always had that, I guess, um, yeah, having to be uncomfortable and try new things as a child and, and in a supportive environment, obviously, I've amazing parents who have been there throughout. And, um, and I really, really love a challenge. I don't know where that comes from, but I just absolutely love seeing a problem and thinking, oh, if I bring together the right people and the right resources and the right technology around that, like, oh, I could solve that. I could pick that apart and I could make that better. So, I don't know. I don't think I've ever had um, this, yeah, this safe place of stability to really feel, feel um, I don't know. I don't really know what that's like. So A classic example of that is the right fit. So this is your new business, which you can tell us about. And essentially it could start to cannibalise the mothership. It could cannibalise Wink Models. Now in true marketing warfare sense in the philosophies of marketing warfare, the greatest thing you can do is to attack yourself first. Sit under a tree and say, if I was a competition, what would I do to destroy me? And you seem to have done that. And I, I, it, it's it's very admirable, I think, Taryn, because you don't ever see entrepreneurs doing that. They have their lane, they sit to it, but they don't really attack themselves. Give us the backstory to starting up the right fit. 
Yeah, and it's such a great question because people ask all the time, like, why on earth would you bite the hand that feeds you? Like, why why would you go out? You've got this beautiful business that's successful and profitable and you've just slaved away, you know, building that for, for the last 10 years. Why would you go out and potentially cannibalize that? You know, that's, that seems ridiculous. You know, why, why would you do it? And I guess it comes back to that, you know, never being comfortable with just the status quo. And, and I do, I genuinely believe that the fastest way to go backwards is to stand still, like, at the pace that the world is moving at now, like if, if it wasn't us, it's disruptively disrupted. Someone else, exactly as you said, would, would be doing it. You know, the competition is, is always hot on your heels and someone else would have been thinking, how can we improve this industry and how can we, you know, expedite the booking and casting process and, and change that. So I built, um, the backstory is, is I built an end-to-end onboarding software for Wink Models probably about four years ago now. Um, and that was my first foray really into building a, a full-service tech product. And um, we had about 650 models on the books and I knew I needed a, a better way to, to firstly remove all of the human dependency in the business, the opportunity for human error, and allow us to scale without having, obviously, 650 models is a lot of people to look after, but without having to continue to add bookers to look after them. Um, and our, you can imagine our, our weekly payroll was just absolutely extortionate, um, being able to, to manage that process and expense claims and, you know, adding 15-minute overtime um, needed to be done really quickly and really easily and and, um, and in a system that was trackable. So started out with a small idea of, look, we'll just build this onboarding process that manages onboarding a new talent onto the platform, um, managing all of their personal details, superannuation details, being able to check their availability and mark them away when they're traveling to have sort of a calendar management tool and a scheduling tool to be able to book all of their um, their bookings and their castings into their calendar and then be able to match that back to payroll and integrate with Zero, which is the payment platform that we use. So it started out as a pretty small goal and um, sort of grew into this bigger than Ben-Hur solution, you know, that does absolutely everything. You know, you can search by what types of licenses they have, if they can drive a truck, whether or not they can kickbox, um, you know, how long their hair is, what size their shoe is, um, you know, what, what brands they've worked on over the last six months and what ratings and reviews they've received on those. So it sort of grew into this bigger than men system, but I absolutely loved learning the process of designing um, and implementing a solution. And, and it was incredibly painful, obviously. I think everyone will, will agree that their first into technology and trying to build any kind of website or platform is challenging and difficult and overwhelming and full of jargon that you don't understand and scary and intimidating and but I really loved it. I saw that at the end of this it would it would completely transform Wink as a business and it would allow me to step out of the company or remove that that key man dependency um, and and give our clients a better service and our talent a better service. So I thought that platform, it really did, you know, transform that company and um, and allow us to scale. But while I was building it, I was sort of, you know, it took about 18 months and there were so many changes going on in, in the industry and sort of advertising and digital advertising. And we saw the advent of social media influencers, which were kind of never really a thing before that. And um, they were seeking representation, but they're not really models. So they couldn't really be on a modeling agency's books. And um, we saw brands moving so much more of their spend to, to digital advertising. So they were looking to spend more on online content and trying to feed these always on social channels that they had to produce content for and, um, and budgets were changing accordingly. So obviously they wanted to produce these small bits of snackable digital content, 
much more efficiently, much more quickly and obviously at an affordable price because they weren't going to live online in the way that they would live on a, a giant billboard for six months um, with the exposure that comes with that. So I could sort of see that there was a place there, okay, if we could build a platform where we could onboard talent and allow them to connect safely and securely with clients, and tying back to, you know, my, my big important premise with Wink was always making sure people got paid safely and securely. And I was like, if we could build this and if we could manage the payment process and make sure that they got paid on time and quickly and efficiently and remove all of that admin process in the middle, um, all of the, you know, tough bits that creatives have and, and clients have and the pain points associated with it, then we could build a platform that could really scale globally. We could not only just have talent, you know, actors and models, but we could have social media influencers and bloggers and photographers and, and videographers and hair and makeup artists and all the people associated with our industry that, you know, really needed this service. So that was where the idea started. Um, and we sort of started fleshing it out and what it might look like and if it was going to be viable and, and obviously did all the research into how big is the market and is there anything out there like this and, um, and then started the build. And I guess, again, a little bit sort of blissful naivety of like, I can build this and run Wink at the same, same time. And it, it's going to be a self-service platform. You know, it's like an online shop, right? People just come on and they spend money and they don't need much help. And, and then I realized growing a, a, a high-growth tech company is a completely different story. So. <laughs> <laughs> you've you've got these two things running parallel. I just want to go down that little laneway that you just mentioned. You've you've said that in any given time you're working in one mindset with the business because you've got these two things running in parallel. Plus you've got people and leadership and finances, all these things going on. But the words you use was I like to work in one mindset. Are you a big one for time blocking or how do you go about managing your day to ensure that the important things get your attention? Yeah, it's really incredibly important to me. Um, I'm not very good at splitting between two things at once and I need to really be 100% absorbed in what I'm doing for it to work. So um, I have an incredible managing director at Wink now who runs that business for me in its entirety. Um, so whilst I still own the company, I don't play a day-to-day role in it. Um, and so I catch up with her sort of, you know, once a week for a really good debrief and um, strategy session as to how the team's going and, and what they need. And I really set aside time for that so that I can fully deep dive in, into that business and get my, you know, Wink model shoes back on and go, okay, you know, what what are the values of this business? What does it need? And, and where are we at? And how can I help? Um, and then, yes, the rest of my day, I really do time block out. So um, I'm pretty anal in that sense. I am a bit of a control freak. I try not to answer the phone. I'm not big on telephone calls, so I try not to answer the phone during the day because it really breaks my mindset and I try and return all of my phone calls at in a you know, one-hour block where I can really give that my full attention while I'm not sending emails or I'm not working on a brief. Um and I start work really early. We've got a team in the um, in New York, in the US. So I start my day pretty early, and I have a catch up with them at, at seven thirty every morning, and and run through what they're working on and what that team needs, um, and then block out time throughout my day for firstly client meetings, and um, and then secondly like blue sky dreaming. So I try and put aside time for that to think about okay, what is the big picture here? What are we trying to achieve? What are the things that are not to do right now but are going to help us in the future and then yeah I block out time for all of the the other really important stuff so I have 
you know, a two-hour finance meeting once a week on a Monday. I have board preps for an hour each week and just things like that that really, like, it has to be very structured for me for it to work. Um, and then Saturday mornings I work in, in the office as well and that's where I get all of my sort of things that are not business critical um, but are business important and, like, writing media reports and um, opinion pieces and things like that. So... When the phones are not ringing and my team don't need me. <laughs> You're super diligent with your scheduling and you've stated that you don't let meetings run over. How do you how do you approach meetings? Is there a particular protocol that the guys know that when Taryn is in the house, this is how it's going to run? Yeah, I'm pretty strict with my time, especially with my internal team and they know that and, um, and I don't take ad hoc meetings during the day. Like if you want time with me, then like please send it in my diary, you know, put in the meeting request and let me know what it is so I can come fully prepared and I can give you the best of me. It's not that I'm, you know, trying to be an arsehole and, and, you know, um, protect my time. It's that I'm trying to give you the best of me while I'm there and I want to be really fully 100% present with you and I want to be able to add value. So if you want me to come and, you know, talk about the product or talk about the marketing strategy for the next month, then I really want to make sure that I come prepared and that, that I'm, you know, adding value and that I'm in the right headspace to do that. So, yeah, everyone's really great. Um, even external people that we work with a lot are, you know, really great. All of my team have full access to my diary so they can see what I have before and after and they can say, okay, now would be a good time to, to schedule in that catch-up um, and, and, yeah, make sure that it would be um, something that firstly I can add value to and, and that I'm going to be coming prepared with all of the things that I need to, to, um, to help. And vice versa, you know, I'll schedule time with them when I really need things from them and I'll say, this is, you know, this is the time that I want to do it and this is what I need you guys to come prepared with and, um, yeah. Saves those wasted. So many people just waste time having meetings for the sake of having meetings and I think it's just such a killer. You were asked your top tips for fellow entrepreneurs to start up a business and the first point you said was be a morning person and you just said a couple of seconds ago during this interview that you get in early, get after it with your team in New York. What's the first hour of your day look like? Like what time do you get up? What's the first hour look like or the first hour and a half? Like what's your routine in the morning? Yeah, I'm pretty structured. I get up at 5.30, um, go to the gym, get that done. That's the, I don't check my emails before I walk into the gym because otherwise my head will just be in the wrong place. So um, get up, go to the gym. That's my one hour where... I don't think about work. I'm fully, fully focused on what I'm doing there. Get the endorphins pumping, you know, get, get my day started right. And then uh, back home, shower. Um, I have the same thing every morning for breakfast. Boiled eggs on toast, so I boil some eggs, pack everything in my bag and head to the office and um, have breakfast at my desk. Um, and, yeah, start my first morning Skype calls with, with the US. So I'm usually at the office by about 7, quarter past 7. Um, and the day sort of rolls on from there. So I'm pretty structured. I do I do like a routine. I, I pretty much wear all black so everything matches so I don't need to think about that in the mornings. Um, remove all of the little barriers in your life that you can. Take out all of those unnecessary things like trying to decide what to have for breakfast or trying to decide what to, have, what to wear. You know, just make your life as simple as possible so you can focus on the really, really important things like making good decisions. On that workout thing, I think... I think I saw an Instagram post of yours where you had your whole team, the whole company, the whole team together. And I think the post 
talked about you have a whole team workout that you do. How does that work? How often? Is it mandatory? <laughs> yes, yes. So it's not mandatory. Um, yes, so... This was, is the Wink Models team. Um, yep, we have a personal trainer and everyone gets together and does a workout. It used to be, um, before we moved offices, we, it used to be every morning. Um, our old office, the team is devastated now. It used to have a swimming pool. So um, we would all train together and then we'd come to the office, have a swim and all cook breakfast together in the office. Um, and it's just such a nice way, firstly for team bonding, um, but it's a really, really nice way just to get you know all of that chit-chat out of the way in the morning. You know, you know that you're looking after the team. You know you're doing the right thing for them. You know that they're getting a good workout. Um, and um, yeah, it's just a really, really nice way to start the day. So it's not mandatory. They don't have to come if they don't want to. And we really try and mix it up, especially with the Melbourne team. Obviously, the Melbourne team do this as well. Um, so they're always out trying something different. We're, we're very blessed, obviously. Um, a lot of our models are personal trainers or athletes or yoga instructors and things like that. So... Um, we do get to try an amazing array of different things like aerial yoga and, um, you know, TRXs, always something awesome going on. And it's just a really nice way um, for those people in our team who do have these amazing skills like yeah, teaching aerial yoga or um, being a jiu-jitsu expert or whatever it is to sort of share that with the rest of the team. Um, so, yeah, it, it's really cool. It's, it's, it's pretty fun. I do. It's something that I really love about the company. Aerial yoga and jiu-jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come and work yeah, in your so place. A, I'm so pissed my modelling career never took last. off. Like, <laughs> if my modelling career had gone the it's way it was supposed fine. to go in my dreams, I'd be working for you right now, Taryn. You, you might be having breakfast together every morning, boiled eggs on toast, getting after Perfect. it. Hashtag get some. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joey's a Kojak model. <laughs> a slimmer version, though. He was he was a tad on the fuller-figured side. Yeah, but come on, let's be honest. You do like the odd lollipop, though, Gary. Yeah, Taryn doesn't even know who you're talking about. Like, Taryn, Taryn's young. She wouldn't even know where we're going with this, like us old farts. Um, Taryn, something I'm curious about. Uh, having worked for Vestfield Shopping Centres for many, many years with Frank Lowy and John Saunders, I was the marketing guy. So every season I had the great pleasure of going through the chart on the wall, the head, the headshots and picking out the models I'd like, putting them together and we would then do our autumn collection, our spring collection and so on. And it was just part of what we had to do as a shopping centre marketing manager. And... I've met a lot of models in my time through events and promotion and so on. And what I find intriguing is to go from the runway or from in front of the camera into leading an organisation and being heralded as being super successful in that, being disruptive, starting a tech company, having to raise the standards of the game of the industry, it takes a lot of leadership skills. How did you go from being a model into being an entrepreneur leader in that position to, to start making these changes? What was that jump like? How did you How did you approach it? It was incredibly difficult. It was really scary, I think, um, especially in the early days. I, I was 21 when I started the agency and obviously you don't, you don't have any leadership skills at 21. You know, you're flat out taking care of yourself and getting yourself up every morning. And, um, 
yeah, it was it was really difficult, and that's why I needed an amazing team around me and an amazing mentors and amazing sort of champions and advocates. Um, I was very lucky that the one one of the amazing things about our industry is that you do get to meet so many incredibly talented people, like like marketing managers and creative directors and photographers and and people who are just truly at the top of their game, um, doing amazing things, who who have an incredibly different outlook on life. So I think. The, the, one of the really blessful things of, of modeling from such a young age is that I had get, got to see and be surrounded by some really, truly inspirational people. And I think that kind of framed my mindset that you can do anything that you put your mind to. And if you, if you work hard enough and if you try hard enough, then, um, then you will be able to achieve it. Growing leadership skills though, absolutely still a work in progress for me. Um, definitely do not have that down pat and nailed and I wish I could say that I was a, the perfect inspiring leader with all of the right things to say to my team at any point in time and um, knowing how to nurture each person and identify their individual needs and strengths and weaknesses. But it is a constant evolution um, for me in, in how I manage and how I lead. Um, the one thing I always try and do is lead from the front and make sure my team know. Like I would never ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do myself and they know that I'm always first in the door and always last out um, and they know. Like I, I, I try and give them full transparency to every single aspect of the business. Um, I think it's incredibly important that they know that the journey that they're on and how incredibly important each of their individual roles is um, to the bigger picture. Um, I think that um, especially Gen Y, they, they really need to know um, what they're a part of and that they're a part of something more and something bigger and what we're trying to do. It's not just about coming to work, cleaning your inbox or building some code and, you know, that's not that's not what it's about. You know, we are here to, to really try and do something different and really reframe an industry and, and disrupt an industry and, and change the way people work. So I think it's incredibly important that they understand as much and have as much transparency as they possibly can and, um, I'm pretty brutally honest with my team. Um, I think that's something that we go through in the hiring process now is just being super brutally honest and transparent about what the company looks like, what their role is going to look like, how we see the company evolving and how we see their role and that changing over time. And, you know, we're a startup. We 100 was the right fit, definitely. You know, we, we can't pay market rates for all of our roles. Um, you know, God, I wish we could, but we don't have the deep pockets. Um, so... It's, it's about people really wanting to come on that journey with you. So you have to find the right people and you have to find your tribe and, and get them flourishing alongside you and, and understand that, you know, they're very much a part of our success. They're very, we won't make it, you know, if we're not all on the same page and, and um, help them grow them alongside you. I think it's so, and so important. That's my, you know, my, my role as a leader is to help them grow and, and help them understand the journey that they're on and um, and enable them to succeed and thrive because that's how we're going to grow and thrive. I think it's gold, Robert. Gold runway. <laughs> now, this is, this is really cool. This is the part of the show I've been looking forward to because Robert doesn't know this. But what's interesting, Taryn, before I throw you to the, the wolves. Look out, now I don't know what's coming. <laughs> Fuller-figured full model to my right. Um in the beige tracksuit pants and the Divinals T-shirt, which is <laughs> way too small. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling that. <laughs> oh, you're feeling it. Don't worry. I guess you bet you get a visual. Now, um, what's really cool, Robbo, <laughs> is mm. that Taryn has got a favourite author and that favourite author has got basically 
it, it, it's, it's the philosophy of the whole Mojo radio show. So I'm going to read it to you and I'm going to see whether Taryn can put all these dots together. Life, <laughs> should not, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty <laughs> and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke thoroughly used up, totally worn out and loudly <laughs> proclaiming, wow, what a ride. <laughs> <laughs> he's the author, He's Taryn. pretty amazing, isn't he, Hunter S? Oh, is, there, yeah. is there any better? <laughs> is there any other author out there? Let's be honest. Anybody who's so been true. on our wild so ride, uh, and there weren't many people listening to us when we first started the first year of shows, but <laughs> from the very start, Taryn, that has been our philosophy, that we are going to give it everything, oh, have a that. good time. We don't have any advertisers or sponsors. Hello, our friends at Corona and Tim Tams. Um, <laughs> it was very interesting looking at your stuff and going that you too, when asked, you know, who are your favourite books or people are inspiration creatively, you went Hunter S. Thompson. It's cool. Mm. Yeah, absolutely love him. I'm absolutely upset. I, I've been reading and rereading Hell's Angels lately. There's just moments of my life that I go through where I'm just gravitating towards a particular Hunter S. book that just so resonates with me. I love just the way he writes and mm. his yeah, approach to life and, yeah, incredibly important. The one book that probably reflects the Mojo radio show the best is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Look out. <laughs> now, I've just got one request of you, Taryn, before I throw to the big man for the final big question. But... Uh, Look, it, it, this is hard for me to approach with you, Taryn, but I think it's fair to say that Robbo's modelling career has hit a bit of a flat spot. Oh, Gary, where are you going? <laughs> Over the last 10 to 15 years, uh, he has hit a flat spot with his career. And Well, it was the, I had the kids. That was the problem. <laughs> <laughs> it may be presumptuous of me, but I know we don't know each other very well yet, and you were saying that mentors really should know each other quite well before they start, but... Is there any chance you can give him some advice on his modelling career, Taryn? Oh, absolutely. We can definitely, like, pull together some catwalk modelling classes if you awesome. like. You know, yeah, I'd be into that. that. That left-hand turn, <laughs> nailing the blue steel. A left-hand turn. <laughs> nailing the left-hand turn. I, you've got me intrigued now. I, I need to learn how to nail the left-hand turn. In fact, that can I use gold. that on the footy field? Can I use nailing the left-hand turn? <laughs> Oh, at the scrimmage, at the scrimmage, left hand turn. Robbo, what the hell are you doing? Hang on a second. Let's have a look at the ref, Blue Steel. Oh, oh that's bad. <laughs> but what's good though, Robbo, is you go right back to the start of the interview, Taryn used the word naive optimism. Brother, you've got it in I've got plenty of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. I'm a bit like oh, you, really Taryn. I'll throw my hand at anything once. You are sufficiently warmed up. That's the attitude uh, Ro- I like. Yeah, there you go. Robbo, take it away. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. Robbo's Nifty 90. So here we go. Start the clock. What was the last book you read? Oh, God. Um, it's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. What's something that annoys you? Uh, running late. What's something you've always wanted to do but still haven't? I was a mailbag. Have a holiday of any kind. <laughs> God, I can relate to that one. What's the best advice you'd give to someone who was thinking about starting up their own business? Uh, it's going to be hard. Don't expect it not to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would be doing it. What three words would best describe yourself? Gritty, tenacious, 
Uh, stubborn. <laughs> bacon or Tim Tams? Oh, bacon. Oh, bacon. Nice. I'm with you. With the with the boiled <laughs> eggs on toast. Is that right? Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's something that you need to stop doing? Oh God, there's so many things. Um, being a control freak and that, like wanting to touch every single element of our business, double double checking the blogs for left alignment. <laughs> <laughs> What's something do you love to do outdoors when you get out of the office? I love going for long walks every Sunday. I go for sort of four or five hour long, long, long walks, clearing my head. You wake up in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, you're on your way to the gym. The mojo's not quite pumping yet. What song do you stick on the iPod to get your mojo going for the day? Oh, gosh. I go through phases where I play songs over and over and over again, like on repeat until I kill them to death. Um, at the moment, it's a little bit of Kanye West, actually. We've had any Kanye before, have we, Gaz? It'll be a first. We have. Another first. Another first. <laughs> there you go. You've done the Nifty 90. You've navigated the way through the most difficult part of the day today. <laughs> Nailed it. All oh, easy right <laughs> from it. here. It was great. And it was great. Well, I've got a number of words that I think best describe you, Taryn. I think you're, you're terribly bright, you're beautiful, you're, you're bold, bullish, you're brave, but you're fun and honest. And it's been a real treat to have you on the show. And I feel as though we've become mates with you and all the team at Wink Models um, at The Right Fit. It's been, um, thank you so much for getting us into your day, for being so honest. You just dropped gold all along the way and um, it's been a real treat. Oh, thank you so much. I have so enjoyed it. Thank you so much, guys. Okay, roll it. At the Mojo Radio Show, we love hearing about people who are chasing their dreams. I have a dream. People who are getting after it. See, like I said last week, more women getting after it. Well, that's just the start of it because uh, we've got the second guest coming up on the show. I love this segment, and the segment, folks, is called Getting After It. These are people that we think have got a hustle going on, have got an idea, but instead of just thinking about it, they're actually doing it. Mate, did I ever tell you the story of how we got our Mojo Radio Show logo? No. I know you said someone did it for you, but we never elaborated on it. Well, it was done by a mate of mine called Neil Hazelman, who is just a wonderful designer who runs his own agency. And anybody who's looking for Neil, you'll find him online with Neil Hazelman. But he's just just got a great eye. And I think we have great simpatico with our, I don't know, thoughts or design styles. And he really got the show from day one. As I've gotten to know Neil, he introduced me to his wife. And Bianca Hachi Hazelman is also quite brilliant and used to be a journalist for the Fin Review and the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. Bianca recognised an opportunity in the marketplace and co-founded and edits and is the boss at Financy. Now, Financy is a website specifically aimed at ladies to help them with their financial well-being. Because I guess in a lot of cases, the finance world is really driven by a lot of guys. And typically, as we find on the Mojo Radio Show, great ideas start by solving your own problem. Your friends like it, and then you commercialize it. And this has been a runaway success. And when I saw what Bianca was doing and the problem Bianca was solving, I was very curious to hear the backstory. So... 
Thankfully, we have got Bianca on the line. Bianca, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. Good to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. I've, I've been through your stuff, but I'd just like to hear, can you just sort of give us give us a rundown on the business? Like, give us the executive summary. What's, what's it all about? It's all about improving and recognising, um, improving financial literacy for women and recognising that there's a gap in the market. So I have been a financial journalist for a very long time. And predominantly, a lot of the material that we've always produced has been read by by men. And that's just because traditionally the financial services sector has been dominated by men. But what we're seeing at the moment is more women wanting to find out more about their um, uh, financial futures, financial literacy, and becoming more financially independent. Now, some women are well and truly on their way and they're doing fantastic stuff. So we promote those women and we find out what they're doing. And at the same time, we're, we're speaking to experts all the time or they're contributing to the site on property shares, um, just money tips, shopping, anything to do with money and finance is, and it, if it relates to women, we will write about it. How did this start for you, Bianca? What was the what was the, the, the start of this idea? It, it started because I recognised there was a gap that wasn't really being met in the market. And that's as I said, from being a Fairfax journalist and, and writing predominantly for a, a male audience, I was becoming increasingly aware of um, these issues that were bubbling away and that have always been there around pay inequality in some sectors, you know, um, the impact on your pay from maternity leave and parental leave and all these different things that were happening. And I thought, well, there's clearly gaps there and we're not really targeting them as much as we could be. And there are women who want to read more about it. So how do we engage with them? And so finance is all about finance a little bit fancy. We produce it in a magazine style. The imagery is tailored towards women and the content is too. So it's nothing that a man can't read. And by all means, we have men contributors. Um, It's just that the way we approach it is more skewed towards women and trying to help them become um, and improve their Financial futures. So there, there's somebody with an idea who wants to do something. That's the buzzword is entrepreneurial. And if we go back to the money side of things, is this a side hustle for you, or have you gone all in? Like, how are you financing I, what you're doing? I am all in, and I have an amazing husband. <laughs> but I, I, I am, I am all in with this, and um, so. For me, financing it is is driven by content. So people buy our content, um, and and pay for advertising. So we that is our model at this point in time. It's not always going to be our model. That is going to evolve, and that is top secret at this point in time. But um, steps are in play for that. So it is definitely. I'm definitely all in, and I feel like for something like this, and you made the point, is a side hustle. Well, to get out of bed in the morning, this drives me. And, and I mean that with the with all seriousness because I, I love my family and they are the number one. But you've got to have something for you and this is for me and this is a bigger picture thing that I feel like I can contribute and um, I love doing it. So I am all in. For someone, and I, this, is, this is something that I, I'm always fascinated by, is that people have a blog or they have a website, they start to get traffic 
You yeah. said you have advertisers. Is this something that you have to sell personally? Do you go to an agency or a representative who goes out and puts your website in amongst others and sells as a package? Like, how does that part of the business work? Well, that's that's been pretty organic for me at this point in time, and it's I've just been approached. But I suppose in the, in the future, if we when we drum that up a bit, we will probably go to that level and lots of people do and and you're right this financy started as a blog while on maternity leave and it's just kind of we we hit a few big stories and broke news on handbags and tax deductions and the, the site kind of went bananas um and from there it's you just get interest and i feel like not a week or week goes by with without new people contacting and i love that interaction that i get from people that are just happy with what you're doing or they that they want to um, give you a tip or they want to want to do something like that so uh, yeah it's um it's an evolving and organic process at this point in time we've only been up and running 11 months so I anticipate you know the next 12 months will be an interesting one as well love a good tax deduction on my handbag Gaz. yeah, yeah. mate I'm just uh, the, the uh Tim Tams, the Corona in the studio. <laughs> you know, they're all they're all part of the part of the recording of the Mojo Radio Show, of don't course. you think? Oh, hand in hand. Um, Bianca Well, man bags are included. So traditionally <laughs> the wording the word, well yes, because the word it just goes back to the wording of um, what's in the tax office's ruling. So traditionally it's always been about the briefcase. So it's sometimes a lot of this these wordings they don't necessarily mean it, but they can be exclusive. They can tend to exclude what people think they can actually claim. So it's just by adding that word handbag, indeed man bag, which a lot of men actually use today more so than a briefcase. So bringing it all up to date and saying, well, these can be tax deductible if you actually use it for work purposes and you actually do qualify. Now you have to seek your own advice on that because it's not an e- it's not necessarily easy. You've got to meet the rules. You can't be silly. Guys, I can't imagine turning up to Triple M in the day carrying a man bag, yeah. though. No. <laughs> no, was it was would have been at the front door. That would not have happened. No, it would be um, gone. Bianca, <laughs> yeah. what or who has provided the biggest lesson for you in the last 11 months to get you where you are today? I would say my husband. He is... Uh, an amazing man who, who you know, Gary, who started his own cloud agency um, for design and branding. And he has always said to me, if you, you've just got to do it and you've just got to start. And when it's not kind of working in the direction that you want it to go, then try something new. So it's, that, it's those lessons of not being afraid to evolve, not being afraid to spend money to try something new if the existing isn't working to the level that you want it to. And I'm not saying big money. I'm just saying, you know, what you might have at that point in time. So it's, it's just trying to um, put aside those fears that can hold you back and that keep you on the same path and you're just plotting at it, plotting at it, plotting at it. If it's not working at that level, try something new. Shake it up a little bit and see what might evolve or who you might end up speaking to through that process and just being open to talking with other people. That, that for me has been wonderful. I've, I've enjoyed that socialization of it and I've always socialized anyway as a journalist, but it's, it's been wonderful to be mixing with other 
women and men uh, who are on this startup path as well. How did you feel when you went live? I felt like I had one foot in the car and one foot out. I felt like I was afraid of it going forward and afraid of getting out. Does that make sense? I felt really nervous. Um, but as I've just continued to challenge myself and I, I'm big on that's what life's about, that's, that's become more comfortable for me and it's not even an issue. I actually kind of miss that edge, that excitement. So I, I'm, I need to look at my next thing and really evaluate over, over the break to see how I get that, that um, sensation again, to be honest, because it is that nervous anxiety of something that's coming that you're building is really a driver. What would you do if you were starting out or there's somebody listening who's going to start out, there's one thing that you would do differently that comes to mind to say, yeah, this is a big thing that I have learned. I definitely would have approached that differently. What would that be? I would. I'm a very passionate person and financing comes from a place of wanting to do a social good as well as build a business. I love it when people say to me that they have the financial business model nutted out first and it's going to go that way. Those financials and finance is built on financials and and kind of understanding yours. But having all that cracked first, I think that is, uh, you know, hats off to those people who do have it really nutted out first. I think it's a really big thing. And it's a stress reliever um, for Financy because it evolved quicker than I expected and kind of took me places without that being nutted out. Um, that has been something I've had to adapt to on the way. But, geez, had I known it from the beginning, I think it would have been a lot easier. Based on 11, almost 12 months of you doing this, what would you say is your best piece of advice to people who read, look at Financy? For 2017, what's the biggest advice that you would take out of your work to give to them for the year ahead? I would say that there's definitely this um, grassroots momentum happening among women wanting to know more and do more with their own money. We know they are the biggest spenders when it comes to um, consumer goods. We know that more women are engaging with their finances and making um, household and beyond investment decisions. So I would say just... um, Keep pushing yourself, keep being, striving to have that financial independence, making those decisions on your own. And on the flip side, and I don't want to just talk about women here, I would love to see in the new year um, more of a policy focus on women's finances, be it through super, but also through parenting. And we stop calling it maternity leave. We start calling it paid parental leave more blatantly across the media and we help support men who want to make um, career decisions that allow, that give them that flexibility or support them more in small business that allow them also to be great dads because there's so many amazing fathers out there that do above and beyond that um, would want would actually like to be with their kids more and maybe see their partners or you know whomever in their life um, perhaps take a more career-focused role. And I think it's about recognising that and, and supporting men as much as we do women. I think that's a really important social shift that might be on the cards. I hope it's on the cards. Well, maybe you're pushing the agenda, Bianca. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, the site is fantastic, folks. I, I would highly recommend you guys check it out, particularly 
uh, the ladies who listen to the show. Um, where do we find the site, Bianca? What are the details of how we track you down? Yep, so go to financy.com.au. So that's F-I-N-A-N-C-Y.com.au. And uh, our material is there, but it's also put across um, various major media outlets and smaller women's um, magazines as well. It's awesome. And we'll also put a link to your husband, Neil's work. Bianca, thank you so much for your time. It really... I love what you're doing. It's very inspiring. And I think this segment, which is, you know, getting after, is about people who can see a problem they have them for themselves. They solve their own problem. Other people like it. And then it becomes commercial. And I think after 11, 12 odd months, you're the perfect example of what getting after it's all about. So um, thank you for sharing. Oh, great. Yeah, thanks, Thank Bianca. you so much. The Mojo Radio Show. <laughs> we don't take ourselves too seriously. Oh, thank God. Well, that's been a big show. Mm, sisters are doing it for themselves. They are indeed. And it's great to see Aussie innovation is a long way from dead. Yeah, and this, this word being an entrepreneur is probably overused. But I think in terms of the Mojo Radio Show, these are two girls who have got ideas, are prepared to have a crack at them, and they're just getting after it. And uh, both have been an enormous success in totally different fields. Um but I think it's a great show. Uh, what are we going to close with? It's been a show that's been all about women doing amazing things, right? So I'm wondering whether we shouldn't do a bit of Aretha Franklin. Do you feel me? Do you know where I'm heading? I don't think you could really go wrong with... It's actually, let's just say it's not a little Aretha. There's a lot of Aretha. There is a lot of Aretha. <laughs> We're out.
The Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at The Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time. <laughs>